0: just like a Trump rally.
1: (laughs) He's kidding. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Full house. Okay. We're going to talk about, uh, the question is not will American democracy survive Donald Trump, but can American democracy? So there's implied optimism there, I think. So, um, never has, uh, a source of information given us so much material to work with. Donald Trump's only been president for a little over half his term, and he's told over a thousand lies. Is that right? No, it's thousands Two thousands thousand? Thousands. It's four thousand? Minimum. Four yeah, thousand? It's at, least,
2: at least six or
1: seven. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's, he's been clocked at about 20 a day, which are verifiable lies. Um, so those of you who read Isaac Asimov can appreciate someone who's that active. Somebody wrote over a thousand books. Donald Trump is the disinformation equivalent of that so we're going to talk about this today i'm going to talk with jim clancy who is a lifetime journalist whom you may recognize from cnn particularly cnn international from my experience uh jim is an old school journalist who actually uh cares about journalism more than the bottom line of what journalism does now he's seen it all from the day when Journalism was a loss maker. The news, the TV news was a so-called loss maker that didn't have to make money. It was about informing people once a day in the evening to what it's become today, which is an industry which is driven by shareholder value and all sorts of things in many circles. Not all. There are still some good networks out there. So he's been around. Jim will tell you what it's like. Uh, Cedric Layton is a CNN military analyst who is a u s Air Force veteran with twenty six years of experience, he retired at the rank of colonel, which is plukovnik in Czech, very respectable um, and One of his innovations and things he was credited for was creating a system of intelligence dissemination which was integrated into the war fighting effort, uh, which is one of these things where that 's where the rubber meets the road as we say, and things happen so you 're looking at two very accomplished people who I very much respect. So I think we should just begin our discussion and see where it goes, because we could
2: be here for hours talking about Donald Trump, but let's start out. Would you want to start? Sure, Jonathan. Well, it's, it's a pleasure to be here, you know, with everybody who has an interest in what really is happening with our world today. And when you look at the events that are going on with Donald Trump in the United States, what you see here in the Czech Republic, what you see in Russia, what you see all over not only Europe and the Americas, but also the the rest of the world, there's cause for great concern. And one of the big things that you have to keep in mind is, you know, in each of our ways, uh, both Jim and I have looked at this from perhaps different angles, but the key thing that we've looked for is finding the truth. It's really all about the truth, and finding a way to go and get and discern that truth so that you, as electors, as voters, can actually make the right decisions. Because in my old capacity, I worked for the American taxpayer. I worked for America. As a person who contributes to a broadcast news network, I also work for the viewer with the idea of actually making sure that the persons that are watching our programs understand what is really going on, I don't come with a political agenda unless I am forced to have a political agenda because the facts lead me there. And that's a different way than you hear from a lot of people in the media. But my purpose here is to make sure that people understand we need to really not only understand the truth and seek the truth, but in some cases, fight for the truth.
0: Well, how many people are here are from the United States? we have many U.S. citizens? No? Well if you should, okay, we got a few over here, if you should travel to the United States or pick up a U.S. coin, you only need to look at it and you see what we're supposed to be all about. What is American democracy supposed to be about? E pluribus unum, out of many, one. Donald Trump turned that on his head on day one of his campaign when he came down on the escalator, the gold escalator, and with Melania behind him and thousands of dollars of expensive clothes, and said, you've got an enemy and you've got to be very afraid. Immigrants, the outsiders, be afraid. I am going to defend you from them. And he ran on that issue and he's going to run on that issue again. He's been running on that. All of his appearances have been campaign rallies. He doesn't make presidential speeches. He gives presidential campaign rallies. And he's still out there today reminding Americans that he's your man. He's going to save you from those brown and black people that are drifting across your borders, stealing food from your tables, taking education away from your children. He'll tell you that he's going to give you a better health care plan, but that's one of the lies. They've never come up with a plan, the GOP. And that's a huge issue. But he's still pressing that to this day as he promises that there's going to be immigration and customs enforcement agents that are going to go out and they're going to take literally thousands of immigrants who may have violated their, the terms of their stay and he's going to deport them. This is nothing but a campaign stunt to show people his basic attraction, and that is that he is going to stand up for white people. We have seen it writ large in his relationship uh, with the so-called, not the gang of four, but it's called the, the- The four congresswomen. The four congresswomen, you know, where he just lashed out and said, send them home. And, and the crowd you know, began shouting against a black woman, who was a Muslim and an immigrant to the United States, immigrated legally, Ilhan Omar, and became a U.S. congressperson, one of the youngest ones in the history of the United States. She even won the governor of Minnesota's fishing contest. But that's not enough for Donald Trump. No. (laughs) He wants to send her home. And all of this hatred has been directed toward... He denies having any... Part, oh, I, I, I didn't do it. I, I didn't tell the crowd to chant, send her home, send her back. He did. He inspired them to do it. And instead of, e pluribus unum, he is driving Americans apart and threatening, I think, in the process, the fundamentals of American democracy that depend... We're only an exceptional nation... So long as we don't dream of the past, we don't dream of all the good old days when white people outnumbered the brown and the blacks by a much bigger majority. The exceptional America looks to the future. How can we bring the many into the one family that is the United States of America? Donald Trump is trying to turn that into chaos.
1: If fear is an organizing principle of American politics now, and it gets results, as it does in other countries, as we just heard in the last fascinating panel, what happened to the idea of compromise, of having a political center, not being polarized, not believing everything you're told about threats to your existence, because you were willing to actually ask questions and fact check? And let me give you one example net migration meaning the number of people going back and forth between the u.s and mexico has been negative for many years that means more people go from the u.s to mexico every year when you count the number of people going back and forth but at the same time we have this terrible threat of migration from mexico for some reason but very few people actually will cite the pew poll the pew is a polling agency that shows that net migration is negative so did the media make a mistake by not saying that out loud during the 2016 campaign and trying to m- take that message away from Donald Trump?
2: I think that's one of the big things that I've, I've noticed you know, when we're you know, dealing with these kinds of issues because the facts, you know, as CNN says, the facts matter. Uh, the problem is, is that you have to be quick and you have to bring the facts to bear in real time watching uh, one of our programs and uh, I won't mention the Anchorman but he's he's well known. Uh, He said uh, he was interviewing a political figure and that political figure made a historical mistake. Uh, He spoke of something that was not true. Uh, It was about Nixon and when he did that uh, the Anchorman did not correct the politician. And that's a problem, no matter what side these people are on, we have to get to a point where we are good enough and secure enough in our knowledge that we are not afraid to correct people who are obviously wrong. In the case of the pupil that uh, that you've cited, uh, is Jonathan, there's, there is a, a huge importance to that because everybody who is talking about the immigration issue in America Cites all kinds of facts and statistics. The one thing they usually do not cite is that very poll. And you know the problem that you have with that is: is it a, you know is it not sexy enough? Is it something that is uh, not as uh, visually appealing as a, a bunch of uh, people coming in from? Uh, Guatemala or El Salvador or Honduras, uh, and uh, not making it on the border, or in the case of uh, father and daughter dying at the border. Uh, Those are things that stories that need to be told. Also, the criminal gangs that are in this area, their stories need to be exposed. But the key thing that you have to do is you have to balance those pictures and those stories with other stories, and that becomes, I think, a big challenge for all of us in this business uh, because you have to cite polls that indicate, okay, this is what's really going on. Uh, is your perception the right perception? Well, let me challenge you with some facts. Uh, there were, there are some excellent efforts to do that. Uh, there was a program on CNN recently, it, it, shown in the U.S., that talked about how immigrants are actually being used in the United States. What? Part of the economic cycle they actually make up and it is significant and there are a lot of jobs in industries that are considered you know dirty too hard to do like agriculture like some of the uh, you know tougher uh, processes in in manufacturing that are made up where the pe- workforce is made up solely or almost solely of immigrant people and that's a fact you know whether you like it or not That is a fact and your communities will not live in the United States without those people and that's something that has to be looked at. Uh, The military wouldn't survive without immigrants. Uh, they bring special skills, whether it's linguistic skills or whether it's, uh, you know, some type of technical skill. These are all things that matter and our big big issue, our big thing in the United States is really that we are supposed to be a meritocracy of talent. That is what we do. That is where we bring people out of many, we become united, as Jim mentioned. That is what is so important about it. And if you can't do that right, and if you don't recognize that that is what is special about our country, about the United States, then you lose so much in not only what we mean to the rest of the world, but also for our future. And that's, I think, where we find big difficulties.
1: Well, let me bounce a a little anecdote off of Jim, which directly relates to this. You can see this on YouTube as well, because it was such an outrageous thing. A CNN colleague of yours, a woman whose name I'm not remembering right now, she very famously asked Newt Gingrich I think it was during 2016, during the campaign some questions about crime, because Newt Gingrich had made some pretty outrageous statements about crime getting worse under Barack Obama. Made sense to the white Republican base that crime gets worse under a black president from Chicago. right? This is pressing very deep buttons in people who think this way. She, unlike the anchor in that case, said, actually, I've got the statistics right here. You're wrong. You're not citing the truth. And Newt Gingrich, who is a very influential Republican, no longer holding office, but in 1994, when he became uh, Speaker of the House, January 1995, technically, he began a, a theme of politics. He's a Republican conservative from Georgia, where Jim lives. He began a theme of politics where in politics... We have to act like insurgents. Everything's fair game. We can call our opponents whatever we want to. We can play with the truth. We can use misinformation, facts and truth together, or outright disinformation, as long as we win and get what we want. So this guy said to the woman, he said, well, I don't think people really care that those are the statistics. Feelings matter more than fact. And he was serious. Feelings over facts. So what's going on?
0: Trump knows this very well, as do the guys you've heard here across Central Europe standing up before the big crowds, that facts matter less than feelings. It feels like a whole lot of Syrians are coming here. It feels like they're going to change my life. It feels like, and I'm glad you brought it up, MS-13, you know, it feels like criminal gangs are coming into the United States from Latin America, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to rape, and they're going to kill, and they're going to bring drugs. President Trump said it himself. He rails all the time about MS-13. Let me tell you a little truth about MS-13. You know where it was founded? Inside the U.S. prison system. Inside every prison in the United States, you have white nationalist gangs versus black Muslim gangs versus Hispanic gangs and they each represent their own population within the prison, and they become very powerful, and they become very adept, and they share their criminal knowledge. And it was actually inside a US prison where MS-13 was born, then exported back down to Latin America where the US was pouring in military funding, training military people. Some of them took part in right-wing death squads. This is the root of the misery In Nicaragua, Honduras, El Salvador, and other places that is coming back to bite the U.S. on the ass with a vengeance. And MS-13 is a part of that. But we never admit our role in it.
2: Uh, I think that's that's very true that uh, a lot of these things, uh, you know, the whole idea... Donald
0: Trump, this is important to say. (laughs) Donald Trump is trying to turn the American population into a prison population where we have black groups, Hispanic groups, and white groups, all battling for supremacy. And we all know what side he's taken.
2: Well, yeah, we, d- we know what side, unfortunately, and we also know it's a, a perfect strategy, and even military people would recognize this, of divide and conquer. You know, you divide the electorate. Most people, you know, if you're going to run for political office, you want to get as many votes as possible. They have made the calculation that they can win by splintering off the opposition. And you, there are historical precedents for this kind of behavior. You only know, have to look across the border, you know, and go back about 80 years or so, uh, and you can see, you know, what happened in Nazi Germany. And you look at or before that with the Weimar Republic. And there are these historical antecedents that are important to remember. And you know, and we really have to look at this idea of running things through feelings, running th- things through emotion. There's a reason we all go to school. There's a reason we supposedly benefit from a high-level educational system, whether it's here in the Czech Republic or in other parts of Europe or in the United States. The reason for that is so that we can think as rational human beings. And if we think as rational human beings, yes, we all have feelings, but we can temper those feelings by understanding, okay, this is a feeling that I have, Let me ask, is there a factual basis for that feeling, or is it something that I've invented or been influenced by in a a bad way? And these are the kinds of things that people have to begin to question. There are some signs of that happening, but are we going to go to a place where these things happen all the time with a large portion of the electorate? That's going to be the question for I think all of our countries.
1: Well, let's talk about Trump's wall, right? Donald Trump campaign on building a wall between the US and Mexico. It's going to keep them out, right? Just like the one in Israel, it keeps everybody out. The Israelis don't want. So he talked about this wall in the context of his rallies, which were more or less hate rallies, closed to people who opposed him so they wouldn't make noise. And he uh, basically said he was going to do this. He talked about it, talking about build the prettiest, best wall ever. He still hasn't done it, but you would think he has done it. When he talks about it, it rallies today. His electorate, I think they believe he's built a wall, or at least begun to build a wall, and he hasn't. So this is another thing. This person talks about a theme he put out there, which is basically something that hasn't happened, and he talks about it as if it's happened, and it's still happening, and the design is changing, and it's getting bigger and better. Meanwhile, there's no wall. So how can Americans believe this select group of Americans who attend Trump rallies, for example, how can they believe that he's built a wall when he hasn't?
0: Well, yeah, and this goes back to Steve Bannon, who was one of his, you know, advisors. And it's all about, he feels that if he made a, a, a promise, you mentioned Newt Gingrich earlier, and he came up with a contract for America, all of the things that the GOP was going to do for Americans. Well, Trump had his contract for America. And after being elected, Steve Bannon warned him, he says, you've got to keep all of those promises and top of the list was the wall. And so he will keep bringing it up. The the Democrats are blocking him. He's taking money from the Defense Department. He's taking money from other areas in order to build a wall that isn't going to work. Everybody has told him study after study shows that most of uh, the people who come to the U.S. and overstay visas aren't coming across that border. They're they're coming through legal checkpoints on on visas, temporary visas, and they're simply not going home. You know, the the most most egregious offender uh, among ethnic groups in New York is the Irish. They come over on student visas, they're white, they speak English, and they never leave. And nobody (laughs) prosecutes them. But, you know, brown people, black people, they're singled out. If you don't speak English, you're at particular risk. And Trump is going to try to keep his promises because, and I wanted to talk about this, I'm glad you brought it up, he's the most transactional president that we've had in the history of the United States of America. Here is a man who took, well, the GOP and Donald Trump took $100 million from Shell Adelson, the casino and gambling uh, magnate, And then Trump took an additional six million for his his inauguration. Now, Adelson is a huge supporter of Bibi Netanyahu, and he expects he he owns a newspaper that praises Bibi in Israel. He bought a Las Vegas newspaper and ran a full page editorial saying to Trump, You promised to move the the, the, uh, embassy, the U.S. embassy, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. When are you going to do it? And then, within a month, Trump moved. The uh, embassy, you give me $6 million for my uh, parties after the inauguration, I'll move the embassy. I'll change U.S. foreign policy. And he's saying that the the people that are working in uh, industry in the United States are saying, we don't even need to hire lobbyists anymore. I mean, the people that are working uh, in the EPA, the people that are working in the Interior Department, they're already representing the interests. We're going to start drilling oil in an Arctic wildlife reserve because he's a transactional president and he's a grifter and he's brought his whole family with him.
1: I was gonna say that exactly when we opened, we the US State Department for whom I used to work, full transparency, full disclosure. When we opened our embassy in Jerusalem, guess who helped open it? Ivanka and Jared.
0: Ivanka and Jared and Shel Adelson and and his wife, Miriam, were there as our guests.
1: Shel, if you want to look this guy up, his name is Sheldon, S-H-E-L-D-O-N, Adelson, A-D-A-L-S-O-N. When Jim talks about transactional politics, you know, fancy people use fancy words, and we're going to use some fancy words up here, but what people call that thing at the end of the day is bribery. It's basically bribery. And we need to call things by their proper names in this era when the new norm is something that is uh, a a disgusting violation of what we consider to be the traditional norms of modern democracy. Um, So let's just call it bribery as well as transactional. We can flip around a little bit back and forth. Anyway, please, if you have more comments on that. We
0: got all kinds of questions, you know, 666 Fifth Avenue, that was Jared Kushner's property that he owed $1.5 billion on, and it's a complete failure. He got, he got the money to make, you know, the bridge loan or whatever he needed. He got the funding. We just don't know exactly where he got it from. Did he get it from the Saudis? I mean, Trump administration, MBS, Mohammed bin Salam, the young leader of Saudi Arabia who thought he could go into Yemen and whip him in a couple of months with all that U.S. military equipment, and he's still there, two and a half, three years later, you know, he's become his quagmire. Uh, He said he had Jared Kushner in his pocket. And how did he do that? Where's the money coming from? It's interesting, when we changed the tax laws, there was only one industry that remained unaffected. It still got to keep its loopholes. Gee, what could that be? Oh, real estate investing. You know, we look at this as Americans and thinking Americans are asking themselves, you know, this isn't for the people. This is for the privileged few. And that's what has so many people worried about the United States becoming an an oligarchy.
2: Well, and, and the whole idea of us becoming an oligarchy is a really dangerous thing for us because not only does it limit... What one can do in a democracy, and in essence, puts that democracy up for sale. But what it also does is it subverts all the values that we ostensibly have grown up with. And if those values are subverted, then there is no tomorrow for a country like ours. Because, you know, we're not based in the United States, we're not based on one ethnicity, one group we are based on a set of ideals and these common ideals, they should be as common as they possibly can be, can include and must include the idea of freedom of choice, the idea of being able to follow one's dreams, the idea of being able to really make sure that the politicians that supposedly represent us are doing so with our interests in mind, not for their own interests in mind. Now, that's an ideal, and even before Trump, there obviously were plenty of politicians who never fit that ideal, even in the United States, but the ideal has to be there, and the ideal has to be there because we need to be that country that makes that kind of a difference, that can have not only a moral standard that we can hold up to the rest of the world, but also a standard that means something, that is worthy of emulation, and that's, that's really what we're looking at. From this standpoint, you mentioned the uh, the embassy in in, in Israel. Uh, to do that violated all kinds of precedent within the the State Department, the whole diplomatic process. And but Trump
0: said, "I'm a man who keeps my word." Well, you gave me the money. That's right. I'm going to keep
2: my promise. And when you go to a Trump campaign rally and you look in the back where they have all those big signs, it says "Promises made, promises kept," and the reason they say that is because it's the little promises that they get people to understand that they've, that they've kept building a wall. I may not have really built that wall, but I've told you I've built it, therefore it must be true. And that kind of false logic is what is really permeating the whole discussion. And it's very hard for people to debate this kind of logic because facts, as in the case of Newt Gingrich, don't matter to the people that are telling you these stories. And that's the problem. That's the problem with all of this.
0: And, we, you know, th- I, I want to say that Trump is a, pro- a huge problem. And he's the leader, if you will, uh, of some of the most hateful things uh, that have happened in the United States. And, and a lot of the, the differences between Americans themselves, the, the pitched political battles that are going on, But we have a problem, and and we've had it for years, and it's only getting worse, and it's only exacerbated by the likes of Donald Trump, and that is money in our political systems. I had occasion to talk with former President Jimmy Carter, uh, because I live in Atlanta and the Carter Center is in Atlanta, and he said, you know how much money that we spent between me and Reagan on our election back in 1980? He held up his hand and he went, zero, zero. Now, it's not exactly true because they had soft money, so there were some millions in there, but when I look at the numbers, uh, we spent nearly $10 billion during the national elections that elected Trump in 2016. $10 billion. $6.4 billion came from candidates for federal office, billion was spent by lobbyists and lawyers who wanted to get something. That spending had doubled from 2000 to 2016. And you know, one of the things that I find amazing, we talk about the abuses of Wall Street that is now romping to new highs. And Trump wants to lower interest rates to help them out even more so he can claim he's had the best stock stock market in history. Never mind what that could do to inflation, that would hurt every single American. He wants just the numbers for the stock market. There was a a quote from an economist and a political commentator saying, the huge amounts of money are not being given for charitable purposes, but to obtain benefits. In other words, people are spending this money, unprecedented amounts of money in campaigns, in order to obtain benefits. And in this area, Donald Trump does know the art of the deal.
1: Yeah. It's worth mentioning the Supreme Court decision in Citizens United, yeah. I think it was 2013, is that right? Yeah. Um, which declared that corporations can be viewed as people, corporate personhood, right? Therefore, through that logic, corporations have free speech. And free speech cannot be blocked according to the First Amendment. And corporations express their free speech through the flow of money. Which expresses their free speech as lobbying so we've got a system that is not only a wash in money it's institutionally bulletproofed against any reform right now because the supreme court said it's okay um it's you know it's an economic stimulus package for political consultants among other things but yeah, you the know
0: political consultant class is run amuck, and that's why so many people are interested in uh, the campaign of elizabeth warren she's not taking any PAC money She's not taking any big corporation money.
1: Can you say what a PAC is? Uh,
0: A political action committee. What they do is they're allowed to raise all the money that they want because they say, well, well, we're not really affiliated with any candidate. We're not a part of their campaign. Or party. Yeah, we're just here on a specific issue. Uh, and, And they can define that issue themselves as being, we're here for the good of America. Well, believe me, everybody knows They're taking part in elections to support either a Democratic candidate, and the Democrats are involved in this too, or a Republican candidate. It's just that now with the Trump tax cuts, you know, billions of dollars in tax cuts for billionaires. And they said, this is all going to come back in uh, a cascade, uh, a veritable avalanche of charitable giving. Well, the numbers are in and they didn't give to charity, but the GOP and Donald Trump are expecting they're going to give that money back to them to run and win the political campaigns come 2020. The reason, you got to defend that tax cut we gave you, you know, because if the Democrats got get in, and the Democrats have already said this, they're going to take away those huge tax cuts if they can. And so, if you're a, a billionaire or a corporation and you want to preserve those fantastically beneficial tax cuts, then you definitely ha- have to spend the money to support them. We may see more money in the 2020 election
2: campaign than we've ever seen before. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt, and, and you know, you, that's right, and when you think about uh, the influence of money on politics, it really has a corrosive effect. Uh, if it's not managed properly you know some people would argue for public financing of elections uh, and uh, you know it's it's an option that you have uh, when you file your income tax in the United States you can check a block and give a dollar uh, to your favorite candidate or to to the committee that is then divided by uh, you know among the, fa- the candidates the top candidates but that kind of thing uh, is only a partial solution it's not going to get to the point where you actually have the real free, unfettered access to the political process that the normal common person should have. and we don't have that anymore in, in the United States, unfortunately. It's something that uh, whether we ever had it or not is perhaps debatable, but it has certainly gone a lot further away from, gotten a lot further away from the common person than, uh, than it has been in the past. It has been the case in the past, and that's a, that's a problem. Real problem.
1: You know, there are a couple of cherished themes among many Americans, not just conservatives, but moderate people, too. We want small government, which maximizes our personal liberty and low taxes, which also means that our personal liberty is reflected in the amount of money we keep, which we earn. So contrast that with social democratic Europe, particularly northern and central Europe where a Danish woman was famously quoted in the news recently about the pride she feels every time she files her taxes and pays very high taxes because you get so much back for your taxes in Denmark. Why are Americans... I don't know.
0: I've talked to people in Stockholm who told me, you Americans are so lucky you have, you know, Johnny Cash and all these other people. She goes, we got no cash, we got no nothing because we're paying it all in taxes. I mean, there's there's always resentment against taxes. And
1: there are conservative parties, but there are social democratic institutions that exist. And you know, I've been in the Czech Republic for quite a long time. And you know, there's no organized tax revolt in the Czech Republic um, because people here, I think, are fairly aware that the healthcare system is pretty good. Bridges aren't falling on top of you when you go over them or under them. And the state here, despite the fact that politics at a high level is very dysfunctional right now, stuff kind of works in the czech republic and you get more or less what you pay for and same with education uh, in america w- w- it's a little different
2: yeah it's uh, you know it's interesting because the idea of economic freedom i think is fundamental to the american dream if you will and it, with that economic freedom you have that responsibility of managing your own affairs and perhaps getting together with other like-minded people and doing things either of a political or a charitable nature. And that's something that has that has been part of the American tradition when it comes to these kinds of things. But what we're finding now is that when you, uh, just in common everyday experiences, uh, the bridges that you cross, uh, they are deteriorating at a rate that is unacceptable. Um, systems uh, for the infrastructure such as sewage systems, those systems also need a lot of work in some parts of the United States. It's not that everything is falling apart like some uh, outlets would have you believe, but what is happening is that we're getting into a situation where what was once new has now become old. And the fact that it has become old and needs to be replaced, those replacements aren't happening the way you want them to happen, the way your government is supposed to make them happen. And that is, I think a, a problem, and can also result in, frankly, a weakening of the bond between the citizen and the state because, after all, when you do pay taxes, no matter how high they are, you want to make sure that those taxes are being used for the right purpose and that you benefit from that. If you benefit, that's one thing. If you don't benefit or you don't see the results of, of that work, of your hard work, then it's a problem.
0: Well, You know, we're on economics, and one of the big questions has been Donald Trump's trade wars. Um, I, I just noted in the South China Morning Post that China is now in talks, cutting deals with the Russians on soybeans. Soybeans was this huge American crop that was being exported by the millions and millions of tons to China, and it's all disappeared with the trade war that Trump initiated and told Americans, don't worry, trade wars are easy to win. And he stuck to it. And now American farmers, who, many of whom supported Donald Trump, are now looking at ruination. They're looking at bankrupt farms. They're having to consider other crops. And they're in serious trouble. And I think this is one of the areas, and perhaps most of you came here today, wondering, is this guy going to get reelected? He's losing his base. hes You can still see the people at the rallies. He still has his true believers. But he's losing his base because people are seeing the disaster of his policies. They have tried, what, 46 times to repeal Obamacare and found out that Americans liked it. They want lower cost health care. They're beginning to understand What Bernie Sanders has been saying all along, (coughs) excuse me, the reason that health care in America is so, so expensive, well, there are many reasons, but one of them is the fact we have so many insurance companies who are involved in the process, and they literally suck out billions of dollars a year, if not hundreds of billions of dollars a year, from American consumers in addition to the actual cost of any health care. a lot of questions are being raised and the GOP has said repeatedly as I noted that we have a better health care plan. They've never presented it. The American people have never seen it.
1: It's invisible.
0: <laughs>
2: it's better. <laughs> well, it's one of those things if you believe it it will happen, supposedly. But but you know, when you when you have a situation like this, the other thing to think about is, you know, a figure like President Trump really represents the past. And the reason I say it that way is he is looking at things that happened in the 50s, that happened in the 60s, that happened even in the 70s. And he's pronouncing that as the good days, the good America. And he wants that to continue in the future or to be reestablished in the future. The fact of the matter is, you you talked about the efficiency of government and and the ability of government to work. The other thing that government needs to do is it needs to, even though we don't do five-year plans like, many of you had experiences with in the past, what we do is something that is that is different, that invokes the private sector, but if you don't have the government partner with the private sector to handle such things as artificial intelligence, cyber security, g- physical security, all kinds of issues that deal with the new brave world of data and uh, personal freedoms that are associated with that, that Failure of government to act is going to present some significant problems for American power and the American ability to not only exercise power or legitimate power, but also the ability of America to actually move forward as a nation. And if you don't look toward the future, and if you want to ignore that future and say, well, the good old days are coming back, even though the facts are not in favor of that, then you are going to have a real problem because not only is it not going to happen the way you envisioned, but when things do occur, you will not have planned for them, and the result can actually be quite disastrous for the society that you're trying to protect.
1: This came up in the discussion with John two days ago, John Perkins over there. The U.S. used to be this beacon of how to build your society based on democratic institutions at work, based on the... Freedoms we take for granted in the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments to our Constitution. So ask yourself today, in 2019, for how many other societies in the world does the U.S. serve as a model of developing anything—economic institutions, political institutions, cultural institutions—except okay, you know Netflix is out there. We got that. Okay, we got. That.
0: Yeah, Netflix <laughs> is in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, okay, okay. Jim, uh, Jim knows more than I do. But the consumer uh, doesn't necessarily yeah, know that. Yeah. <laughs> But the, the U.S. has become relegated to a country like Russia right now in terms of not being a model for development for anybody.
0: I wonder how many people very here— very different than Russia, but it's not— How many people here g- agree with that, that America has kind of lost its place as a result of Donald Trump?
1: As a model of development in particular, I'm saying.
0: How, how many people here think it's reversible? Well, I'm glad that we have some people yeah. here it's that optimism. are bad, still yeah. optimistic, and you should so, yeah. be. You should be, but, you know, we look at this democracy being attacked from many different places. At its core is the treatment of immigrants, you know, the separation of families and putting children there. All of that is meant to be mean, to discourage them from coming. And they're coming out with a new law that says unless you've applied for and been refused uh, asylum, in all of the countries that you went through to get to the southern border of the U.S., you can't apply. And they're thinking that's another loophole that they can use to keep everyone out. And that's at the core of America. That's e pluribus unum. But there's all kinds of other ways that, you know, American democracy is being held hostage by this administration and it's the emoluments clause. I mean, it's the way that can you tell Trump people
1: what that is, Jim, the Emoluments well, it, Clause?
0: It means that you can't, as president, profit from your office. You can't take it as personal gain. You know, Donald It's in, Trump in Article
1: One of the U.S. Constitution, by the way. Yeah. is that important that they put it in it, there.
0: It, it, it's that important that you can't use your public office as a cash machine. Donald Trump is using the United States of America as an ATM. His whole family is. You know, the the Kushners were over-offering uh, visas to Chinese if they would invest, you know, $500,000 or a million dollars. Buy a place in Trump Tower. We'll get you a visa. And then they, oh, they hushed it all up. And Ivanka is out getting contracts for one Chinese company after another. She wants to do business. Trump is bringing them along on his uh, uh, on international uh, diplomatic missions and treating them as if they knew anything, anything about international relations. They don't. It's all a way of staging them, this uh, nepotism to stage them, put them in a good place for business after his presidency. And the problem is he's getting away with it. He goes to his golf club. American taxpayers are estimated to be paying, what, $24 million every time he goes to his golf club or more?
1: mar lago in Florida. Very convenient to take Air Force One there. Not a long trip either.
0: Not a long. No, this is in violation miles, of you know. the law, yeah, but nobody is holding him to account.
2: He's getting away with it. So they actually made an effort to the Emoluments Clause. you know, as, as Jim mentioned, that is the one where you're not supposed to be taking money from anybody else, especially foreign people, because the Founding Fathers actually said, look, we don't want, at that time, the British or the French or anybody else to control the royal houses of Europe in the 18th century to control what an American government is going to do. Well, in the present day, the Attorney General of the District of Columbia, where Washington is, and Washington, D.C., and the Attorney General of Maryland actually filed a suit against the President in, in court saying you cannot do this based on the Constitution. But The unfortunate thing is that the courts ruled against them, saying that they did not have what is known as standing. In other words, they did not have the right to bring this particular suit because they weren't affected by the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. One can make the argument that they really were, but that's what the court decided. So there are going to be some difficulties. You know, when you ask the question, can American democracy actually survive the Trump administration? One of the other key elements of this is the court system. The courts, the judiciary is supposed to be independent under the US system. They're not supposed to be uh, subordinate to the executive or to the legislative branch. But the President of the United States appoints the federal judges. And as a result of that, what he's doing right now is he is actually putting in judges that have the type of political philosophy that is similar, in some cases perhaps a mirror image, of his political philosophy. And because their interests mirror each other, the judges might very well be influenced by the policies of the Trump administration in a way that favors them when it comes to court cases. So this is going to be another risk for American democracy, but it's going to be something that we're going to have to watch.
1: We're getting back to answering the question, and we're gonna get to questions for you in a minute. But just so you know, the the emoluments clause case, one of the main exponents of pushing this and talking about it is Norman Eisen, who was the former ambassador to the Czech Republic. You probably know who he is. And he just wrote a wonderful book about living in the ambassador's residence in Prague, which I highly recommend. Um, This this whole discussion is fundamentally about the rule of law. And you hear that all the time, the rule of law. And that goes, it's part and parcel of a democratic system that you can predict in the future will look a certain way and will behave a certain way in which we'll check the powers of actors in this system, whether it's the legislature or the executive branch. You're the executive in this case, (laughs) Cedric. We've got a rule of law problem under Donald Trump, and this actually is uh, – here's an example. Someone who's one of his top political advisors simply refused to appear after she was subpoenaed. Congress, a subpoena is a formal notice that you must appear physically. And, and Donald
0: Trump said, "You don't have to." Yeah, and he don't do it.
1: Yeah, the, this exactly is said, these are you know. th- this is a violation of a fundamental norm of a modern democratic system with checks and balances. This is a check on the executive branch by the legislative branch. And they're just saying, no, we're not going to show up. I dare you to do something about it. So the rule of law is something that is going to take uh, a while to recover after this administration. And one reason why is that future presidents could be emboldened, could be encouraged by the example of Donald Trump to do whatever the hell that person wants in the future, which means that the presidency is probably uh, it's going to look a little deformed for a couple of generations after donald trump leaves the white house i think so we're getting we're starting to answer that question but uh, jim if you want to say something we have about 11 and a half minutes left so we're going to open up to questions in a minute
0: yeah just very quickly we look at donald trump and we look at all of this as it's happening Ah, hell i've lost my train of thought oh no it was a great opening it
1: was a great train yeah (laughs) but rule of law well, subpoena. Yeah, are you yeah. being... You know, you know,
0: yeah, just the, uh, 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 just the other aspects of the way that Donald Trump ha- has put the government under pressure. He's put our very system and its honesty under pressure. There are so many ways I lose track of them. It's very frustrating to be an American today and to be watching this happen, you know. Very frustrating.
1: That, what, you're, what you're saying right now is really interesting. There's a Turkish woman who just wrote a book on how to destroy democracy. Very interesting book. She was just interviewed on an interesting podcast called Pod Save America. And one of the things that populist politicians do is they change the discourse of politics, which is something we got in the last panel, and they start normalizing outrageous things, outrageous language, outrageous attacks, things that we know have nothing to do with cause and effect or reality as it is. And people who defend liberal democratic values, their jaw starts to go down and their mouth starts to go open and they don't know
2: what the hell to say because they've never seen anything like it. Well, this is exactly what happened within the Republican primaries during the 2016 presidential election in the U.S. You notice how the candidates behaved, the traditional candidates, none of them. I think it's fair to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but none of them, to my recollection, really had a valid, rapid answer to Donald Trump's accusations or the statements that he made. And it goes back to the whole idea of doing something factual versus emotional. And you know, when you have a situation where you really are riding that emotional, I guess we'll call it a roller coaster for lack of a better term, that affects everybody. People don't fact check, like we talked about at the beginning. People don't look at whether or not this is actually true, or is this outrageous statement, you know, something that is relevant or even plausible. Uh, you know, that whole scientific idea of actually trying to figure out, I- I- in an experimental sense, whether or not something is right or wrong. That seems to have disappeared from from the discourse that that we're having. And that is something where centrists, political centrists, people in the middle politically, have historically always had a very tough time fighting the extremists of either right or left. I mean, you look at what happened with the Bolsheviks in Russia in, in the 1917 revolution. You look at what happened to the Weimar Republic in Germany and how that devolved into the fascist Nazi dictatorship of Adolf Hitler. Those kinds of things can happen, unfortunately, anywhere. And it becomes really important to, you know, look at things like the rule of law, look at precedent, and also understand why things are the way they are and why things need to change in order to avoid the fate of a dictatorship or the fate of a philosophy that really imprisons people, whether it's from the right or the left. That's, that's the kind of thing that we, we need to deal with. So we've
1: got eight minutes of shock and awe, right? That's kind of what we're talking about. No longer military, concept, it's now political and civic concept. So let's take some questions. Someone with a microphone, let's go to the guy in the front. Uh, actually, you had a long question in the last one that wasn't a question, really. So let's go to someone, let's go over here. <laughs> Sorry.
0: Yeah, it's let's okay if you have a comment, and you can get yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get sentences. Sentences. we're going to
1: let's make it quick and then we're going to go in the second row, the guy in the blue, and then
2: we're going to go back there. Okay, I'm going to get you two quick ones because number 1 as a military man. I saw today a thousand more troops being sent to the border. Right. Donald Trump is breaking down that norm, utilizing the military in ways they obviously he's the commander in chief, but that's something I think needs to be discussed briefly. But right. the second point I would make, I've lived here for 15 years as well. I identify myself as a Californian when people ask me where I'm from. SC, baby. Uh, that's, that seems to be one of the questions about American democracy that I'm just starting to hear people whisper about. The states splitting apart. Who wants to live in Louisiana and Mississippi if you have to drive to Nebraska or Chicago to get an abortion? I see the, those threads ripping apart at the seams because these, all of our states have become so different from one another. In essence, what you're dealing with is kind of a back to the future uh, kind of scenario because in the, when the United States was founded, you had this collection of 13 colonies, which then became 13 states, which became at first independent countries. In essence, in fact, the idea of unifying these disparate states was really something that uh, it took a constitution to really do. And people like George Washington and and others who were, in essence, the American founding fathers. So, you know, when you look at that particular part of it, you have a really, uh, the regionalism, the idea of regionalism or statism, if you will, is something that we also experienced during the American Civil War in the 1860s that is something that we really have to be careful about and I can understand why you'd want to identify yourself as a Californian I was born there but I uh, you know we have to understand that if we don't work together we're not going to be able to solve these problems and that's that's going to be a real real big issue real quick on the Mexico uh, deployment of military folks to Mexico that I uh, is a potential violation of the constitution. There's a and also federal law. There's a law called Posse Camatatus, and what that means it's fancy Latin for basically saying that military people cannot go in and conduct law enforcement duties. They cannot be a police force, and and they're not really. And they're not. It's really. a stunt. Yeah. But it's it, a political yeah. stunt. Yeah, that's well, let's
0: get to another question,
1: quick. Yeah. Gentleman in the blue, right there. All right, so. I know we are running out of time, but I want to open this can of worms. Can American democracy survive yet another centrist Democrat president? Or will it produce us with uh, another Donald Trump or even worse?
0: Look, the American people are known to make some bad choices from time to time. And yet they are also known to recognize them and to go completely the other way. In in fact, with the political parties, if you, you watch it, it goes Republican for a while and then Democrat for a while. And there's a tendency, the American people to look in a different direction. Hillary Clinton didn't really represent a different direction, you know, from George W. Bush. And so, you know, I I, I think people were inclined to say, let's give him a try, you know? We turned down H. Ross Perot. You know, this guy seems harmless. He seems like, you know, he could be a lot of fun, and we'll have the best looking first lady in the world and they've now elected him and they've gotten chaos it's you can't turn on the news it's trump 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 all the time and people are sick of it i don't think he's going to survive this vote
1: who else has a question who is not asked a question that's you're conveniently close too. that's nice we can uh, we can just shave seconds off this thank you um, I'm, Unfortunately, I was not able to attend from the very start, but I don't know if you have had a chance uh, to compare at least a little bit to what is going on in the United States versus what we have here in the Czech Republic, because uh, we, our president is pretty ruthless. We are talking about uh, endangered democracy as well,
2: and uh, there is some correlation. Uh, there is some similarity. I'm proud
0: of you. I was here 30 years ago. You're back in the streets. You figured it out democracy you don't win a democracy forever you got to keep fighting
2: and that's absolutely the yeah. key thing uh, you know I was I was also in, in this part of the world 30 years ago and it becomes really important to take to the streets in the right way uh, you know and, and frankly uh, when you have these kinds of similarities between Czech Republic and the United States uh, we have to watch out for each other the real people have to watch out for each other.
1: Yeah, I was at the demonstration in Letna, and that was something else. I live in Letna, Prague, and that was absolutely beautiful. Basically, the Czech Republic is right now at a relatively advantaged position vis a vis Poland and Hungary because people are coming out on the streets here when they see an abuse of power. That's a good sign, even though there's a very unhealthy person, both politically and physically, who's in the presidency, and his political client, (laughs) (laughs) his political client, and psychologically, I'm sorry, and his. Political client whose prime minister has this shameless and submissive relationship to him now because he's dependent on him. So you're you're doing the right thing. Let's have a woman ask a question. All the men have been heard.
0: Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, thank you. Um, so I have a question. Um, I read an article a couple of weeks ago about the the camps that are at the Mexican border. And some of the Democrats that have been going there have been saying that these are essentially concentration camps, and I just want to know your opinion on that. If you agree with that, and if so, can we still c- call America a democracy?
2: Well, great question. This yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, as far as you know whether America is a democracy, I think that uh, you know has to do with the total the totality of everything that's there. Now, uh, are these concentration camps or not? I think that's a, a very strong term to use. I mean, if you've been to Dachau or you've been to Auschwitz, uh, you know... Concentrating, concentrating, concentrating people. Concentrating. Yeah. yeah, right. In term- so that's, that's the problem, be the you see. Term. When you think of that word, you think of extermination. And that's not, that's not going to be allowed. I mean, are people going to die? Yes, but it should not happen. And there are a lot of people who are very concerned about this. And I think from a, a popular perspective, uh, both people on the, in, in the Democratic Party and in the Republican Party are saying this is not the way to deal with this and it's not the way to bring people into the United States. So I think you'll see a change eventually there. That's my view.
1: Jim? Go we got one more question. We got, do we have one Go more question? One on, more. Get
2: in the Me Too movement.
1: Yeah, come on. All oh, right, back there in the black, right there, right near the, the slope in the back. I forgot the word for that. What is that? I, I don't guess. even know. Oh, g- uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever.
2: Uh, yeah, you said that uh, Mr. Trump is uh, one of those um, older guys looking back to 50s and this ret- retro nostalgia and stuff. Uh, I am from this little country, Slovakia, and we have this uh, first female young uh, president. And I'm very, very proud of her. And uh, you Czechs just keep on fighting. and. Let's see, so let's just hope for the brighter future, and I'm very happy for Zuzana Caputova.
0: Well, we're very proud of uh, your president, too, and we're going to continue to watch her and see what she does. I like her style so far. I just haven't
2: seen she enough happens. of her. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Slovakia, I, you, you can, uh, for people who don't know what's going on in Slovakia, Slovakia has had a very difficult time recently with populistic government who have been involved with people who have, for example, uh, threatened free speech by attacking and killing members of the media. This all has to do with money, follow the money. So Zuzana Chaputova being elected is a very, very big deal because it's pushback in a region that now is being seen as more and more populistic. It's a liberal, centrist, democratic pushback, and it's a woman, an empowerment of a woman who's now the face of a country.
2: It's a big deal. And, and this can be, you know, the what's happening in Slovakia can really be something that is different from the historical trend where centrists have had a problem actually running things in the sense of attracting people and being popular. Hopefully she can turn that around and do something as a model for everybody.
1: Good. Thanks everybody. We're out of time. A great crowd, great questions, great discussion. These guys are a couple of pros. They really know what they're talking about, and they're very passionate, <laughs> as you can see. Thank, Thank you, you very much.
0: I love you guys. Yeah, I love thanks, you guys. Thanks. The best audience anywhere.